thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 88, Why We Need to Be in Fellowship. Well, if you hear any background noise in this episode of Thread, understand that those sounds of ocean waves crashing on a sandy shore are not sound effects. They are real. I am happily in Orange Beach, Alabama, just down the road from Pensacola, Florida. And we're in the U.S. for the wedding of our daughter, Jessica, who's marrying Ben Salmon from Jamaica. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be off for that wedding and then back into Asia. Well, let's talk today about the book of Acts, chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, open them with me. We're going to first talk about the backstory that went on that we left last time, where the uh, biggest persecutor of Christianity became a convert. He accepted Jesus after a personal experience, an encounter with the Lord on the road in Damascus, Syria, as he was going there to persecute Christians further. He had began the great Jerusalem persecution, had put men and women in jail, had killed some, and after disrupting the church in that city, had now gone in search of Christians in other lands among the Jewish community that he could persecute there too. And he was arrested by the Lord, knocked off his horse, blinded, and God revealed the truth to him and broke Paul's heart because he understood that he had been oh so sincere and self-righteous and full of zeal, but that he was misguided and he had actually been hurting the true Lord. Uh, So Paul bows his need to Jesus, and uh, doesn't stay alone for long because God sends brother Ananias, who's afraid of Paul with good reason, but Ananias comes and welcomes him and brings him into the fellowship. And in the last, uh, if, if we look at Acts chapter 9, verse 19, it says, So when he, Paul, had received food, he was strengthened. And then he saw Paul, same guy spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. He was grafted into their fellowship, and through them he learned the doctrine of Jesus. You know, Paul has been involved in groups before. He's been a Jew all of his life, and he's been in that circle. He is a tent maker, so whatever leather workers union or other buddies who made leather works, he's had, you know, personal interest that have made him part of a group. He's been a member in a family. and uh, But this group is different. His Pharisee group taught him to hate and actually led him to kill people that he thought were wrong. But this group was entirely different. He had never been in a group like the group of disciples, where membership is not based on your race, It is not based on your gender. It has nothing to do with your occupation or your politics or your personal hobbies or interests. He's entered a circle of disciples, and entering a circle of disciples is based uh, only on one thing, loyalty to Jesus Christ. Loyalty in your words, loyalty in your thoughts, loyalty in your actions. There is no other basis for belonging to this group. This is not a circle for seekers. 
It's not a place for those who are half in and half out. The membership in this kind of a circle is set by God, and God knows the truth. Uh, it's not for us to make it uh, easier, more inclusive for people to be in this circle. You can't get in this circle by doing any human thing except to repent, bow the knee, and accept Jesus as your Lord and completely and totally devote yourself to living under His authority and to fulfilling His mission. And when you find people who have made that same commitment, there is a magnetism. Uh, John Osteen called it the divine flow. He said there are people that you just have the divine flow with. You are totally sold out to the Lord and you meet someone else, and they are also just like that, and immediately there's a bonding and a connecting inside your heart. And you may have trouble communicating with each other because your language is different. You may not like the same food. You may have so many things different about you, but that one thing becomes greater than all of the others, and it pulls you together, and it cements you in a closeness that, you, you just can't find it any other place, not even in a blood family, because it goes all the way to the, to the core of your new soul, because Jesus taught the rebirth of the soul. And when someone completely uh, bows to him, he does a miracle inside of them. He causes their soul to be reborn. They're born again, and his spirit comes inside, and now that spirit is echoing uh, you know, a call to the others who have that same spirit in them, and it pulls us together. And that's actually what the word church means. Church means, uh, uh, basically in English, the closest thing is God called. He, he sent out a beacon, and a lot of people ignored the beacon or didn't even hear it, but some, because they're, they're turned to Him, they hear the beacon and they stop what they're doing and they answer and they come to the Lord. And when they come to the Lord, they find other people who have also come to the Lord, the ecclesia, those who were called out of whatever they were doing. And they came to the Lord and met each other as they met the Lord. So that's the beautiful thing about a true church. It's not just a corporation or a, a group that meets in a building at a certain time. You know, God has birthed his, his people, His church upon the earth. And we have a calling in our heart, and it, it sends out a, a little beacon. And we find others that have that same spirit in us. It, it pulls us together. Uh, we were in an airport in China one time, and I didn't quite know how much, you know, how much liberty we had there. That was still in a time when persecution was very common. And we got a chance to get in a conversation with people around us. And uh, Sherry was showing photos, and that led to conversation. And so finally, uh, she asked me to talk to them about the dark heart. And I talked about how God takes the dark heart of us. All of us have one. It draws us away from Him, makes us evil inside. And Jesus can pull that heart out and give us a new heart. And as I was into that explanation, the whole room got quiet. They were all listening to me. And then suddenly she couldn't take it anymore. This Chinese girl jumped up from across the room and ran over and stood up beside us. And she began to preach to the people uh, that 
Jesus is not just a Jesus of Western people. He's not just God of white people. He is the whole world savior. He loves China and he will change them too. And she was very zealous, you know. And then immediately she sat down with us. Now, we never introduced ourselves. We didn't know her at all, except that we both are disciples of Jesus. And that was really all we needed to know. And it was very clear that she had that same commitment, that same relationship with him. It's not just a religion. She knows the same Lord that I know, and her relationship with him is the same as mine. So, you know, this circle of discipleship, this really changed Paul. Uh, It was so life-giving to him that he spent the rest of his life planting life-giving discipleship circles across Asia Minor. Every time he found a city, he and even if he was only going to be there for a week, he would try to do his best to gather a discipleship circle, and he would leave it behind when he went on his way. You know, he met he met some that in in other writings, like in the book of Galatians, Paul calls some people um, in Greek pseudo Adelphoi, false pseudo false Adelphoi brothers, false brothers, not really in the circle, just pretending. He said they had come to spy on the liberty, spy on the wonder that is in a true circle of disciples. Well, this circle of disciples became a, a really huge part of, of Paul's life. It was the central social unit you know, that he lived in. And within this group, he began to do ministry. Within this group, he would go out into Jewish synagogues and he would, um, in verse 20. Uh, 1 and 22 of chapter 9, he would preach about Jesus and the others would be there with him. And then um, verse 23, we're told that a plot was made to kill Paul. But the brothers found out about it, the disciples, the others in his fellowship circle. They found out about it along with him and they helped him to escape. They risked their lives to secure his welfare. And then he, he gets to Jerusalem. He leaves after about three years. And verse 26, and he comes to Jerusalem and his instinct is immediately to find the circle of true disciples. I have to find them. You know, I have to be, I have to be grafted in. I have to become one of them. And he, you know, he didn't really know them except, uh, I guess, by reputation, he would know some of the, the leaders. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Paul that killed some of these people and put some of them in prison. And he is now coming back. He wants to come back to the group of true disciples in that city. And that's who these people are. And they're scared of him, verse 26, because he's hurt them already. And they don't believe that he's a disciple. If they had believed he was a disciple, it would be different. But they just didn't trust him. They, they were in fear of him. They'd been bunkered too long. They had lost their nerve. But... They were, you know, they didn't believe he was a disciple. That's the membership card, you know. But verse 27 says Barnabas just took him and brought him right to the secret hideout and opens the door. And this is, you know, back to the last lesson we had about initiative. Barnabas just feels to do something. And he doesn't know where it's going to lead because that's that's the thing about taking initiative is you you don't know the whole thing. Uh, Initiative just means the first move. It's the opening move. And Barnabas knew the opening move, walk up to the door, (laughs) walk up to the door of the secret hideout where all the top level leaders of the entire Christian movement are right now in that room 
and open the door and walk inside and bring Paul with me. And that was, that was his opening play. You know, that's his initiative for this. And, and it worked. Once they heard Paul's story, once they heard it from Paul's lips, once they got to hear that, that thing that all Christians have, that's your testimony. How did you meet the Lord? You know, once Paul could tell his own version of that story, their attitude changed immediately. Because as long as they knew he was a disciple, then they already knew his heart, and they knew his Lord, and they knew that God had a hand on his life. And they bonded together. Verse 28 says, from that point on, they went in and went out with him. Paul joined them. They embraced him because he was part of their fellowship. Not because they voted to make him part of their fellowship. He was in their fellowship because Jesus made him in their fellowship. He joined Jesus. Everyone who is joined to Jesus is in our fellowship. And, you know, talking about church discipline, I can't exclude anyone from our fellowship except for things that exclude him from fellowship with Jesus. You know, if he has outed himself from Jesus, if he has you know, backed off from Jesus, and I will still love him, but he's not in the circle, not because I say so, but because the whole, you know, the whole thing about this circle is it's about people who are walking with Jesus. And when you stop walking with Jesus, you move out of the circle because the circle keeps moving. We're moving with Jesus every day. We live with the Lord. Anyway, these brothers also saved Paul's life again. Uh, when the, the group rises up, uh, he, Paul has the courage, verse 29, to go back to the same synagogue that killed Stephen. And this is where the story of Saul, who changes his name to Paul, this is where the story began, was that he was standing there, a young seminarian, and as uh, they were taking off their heavy coats so they could throw their stones and bash Stephen's head in, Paul uh, agreed to be the witness for them, and he held their coats. And then he joined the persecutors club and became the lead persecutor. And now here he is in the very same church synagogue that started this whole uproar and the the place where he got recruited and he goes right back to them to to repent. He is there to deal with his own error. He's there to deal with his own mistake. He has come to repent and to to fix things that he was participant in messing up. Well, his life goes on, you know, this, and just good things just keep happening. Verse 31 says the churches throughout the whole area had peace and they began to grow really big and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So this was a beautiful era and a lot of it had to do with the unity of the Spirit. You know, all these brothers had been through so much pain together, but because Paul becomes a disciple, Jesus has forgiven him. So they forgive him. And Jesus has embraced him. So they embrace him. And, you know, former enemies become now dear friends, close friends, as Paul enters the fellowship circle of church. You know, what happens in a circle of, of believers? What happens when you can find yourself a circle that shares your dedication to Christ? Well, you know, some benefits you would expect. You get uh, encouragement from all of them, because we're all having to battle against our evil side. 
And a circle of disciples will encourage our best side to come out. And it will, uh, you know, we, we get the positive group pressure and encouragement about being true to the Lord and, and living the way that God wants us to live. And everyone around us in that circle is, is living that life, is working really hard to be a good witness for the Lord and to have a clean, have a clean life so the Lord can use us. Being in a circle like that also will correct us because there'll be, you know, when we're off balance, we'll, we'll be, we'll be pushed back to the center just by the mass of the group. There are a lot of good things. You know, there are a lot of practical things. We get a lot of things done in, in real life. You know, I really need a rest. Sherry and I did. We haven't had a rest in a long time. And a friend of mine of ours just said, use, use our place at the beach. So here we are. Uh, no money spent at my friend's place. And we're grateful to them for this. But this is a benefit that came to us from the Lord through our friends in the circle of the circle of trust, the circle of disciples. So there's all kinds of things that happen through this circle that benefit all of us. There's encouragement, correction. There's a strength that we get from a whole bunch of people standing with us in the Lord. But there's something else that happens that's kind of mystical. It's a lateral benefit. You know, we've got our direct connection to the Holy Spirit, but there's also a lateral connection from side to side as it brings healing and strength to us. All I can think of is to say by osmosis. Uh, when we pastored in the Philippines, we planted a house church. Most of the people in the original 13 members of the circle, um, a lot of them were coming out of substance abuse and had other kinds of pretty serious life problems. And we, um, we got to about mm, 60 people. And at that point, Sherry and I are doing so much counseling. We're handling almost all of the load because a few times we tried to let someone else help us teach. And although they were sincere, when we listened to the things that they said, you know, they just didn't know their Bible that well. And they actually were saying things that are totally contrary to God's ways, even in teaching children's church, as simple as that is, they were saying things and we just had to say, okay, time out. Um, we'll be the Bible teachers for now. And so I, I remember talking to the Lord and I just said, you know, Father, I'm worn out. I can't keep doing this. And he said, what do you have in your hand? And I said, well, there's four men in this church that I'm certain are walking with you. And he said, train four. So for Six months, Sherry and I, every Friday, invited those men and their wives to come to our house for dinner, and then we talked about the Lord, we talked about good doctrine, we talked about how to take care of people, we talked about the kingdom of God and the ways of Jesus, and we did it for six months till we finally felt like they were really in a position to be elders in that group. And then we had a, a night where we divided up the, the church, and most of them were seekers, a lot of them were not even Christians, not disciples by any stretch of the imagination, but they were walking toward that. And so we divided them up into four groups, and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to meet uh, once a week and no Bible studies. Nobody teaches the Bible. I don't want it to be one way. The only thing I want you to do is tell the truth about your lives and then pray for each other and then eat food, and that's it. If you want to sing... Some worship songs, that'd be great too. But that's that's all I want you to do. But I want you to do it every week. 
And, you know, about six months later, we were really amazed because we had 12 rock-solid new disciples. And they had, you know, they had been to the general church Bible study, but the thing that had really changed their life the most were these small groups. And we said, you know, this is very, this is very interesting because I saw, you know, people would say, uh, pray for me this week, I'm going to stop smoking. Well, we hadn't said they needed to stop smoking, but the Holy Spirit told them that. And that they just, they were getting help from each other. The people were stopping with their drug habits. They were putting their families back together again. They were, you know, they quit doing evil things. And it was just the health of the group, the Holy Spirit permeating their social circle, working from the side, changing them in a natural way that didn't involve going to a class and reading a book and memorizing anything. And, you know, it's not the educational approach that we try to take these days. It was purely loving Jesus as a group. We're just going to love Jesus, tell the truth about our lives, talk to God uh, about our problems, sing worship songs, and then we're going to eat food. And that's all we're going to do. And you know, it worked. I was just amazed at it. It worked. It worked because the Holy Spirit is alive in circles of discipleship. So, my friends, you need a circle of discipleship. I hope that your local church can be that for you, and I hope you can find a good local church. Sometimes that is the hardest thing, is just finding a healthy church in your community. Uh, But even beyond your church membership, you need something small where people really know who you are. And, uh, you know, it may not be really a really big group, but nice if it meets regularly. And if you just share out of your heart, God will do things through groups like that that will transform your life and open doors for you. And new things will come and you'll get wisdom from people. You need a circle. I need a circle. This is the primary building block of the Christian community, the circle of discipleship. So if you can't find one, start one. Get two or three. And Jesus said, if you can get two or three gathered in my name, I myself will be there with you in your midst. So believe that promise. Trust the Lord. And let's all move forward in the pattern of the early church, keeping as close to the plans of Jesus as we can. Well, that's all for now. If you'd like to talk to me, I would love to hear from you directly. My personal email address is Chuck at Quinley.com. I love hearing feedback from you. See you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. Thread.